0: I want to read one verse. Now the verse itself is quite long uh, but um, I feel that this is the verse which God has given to me for you. It's a verse which challenges me every time I read it and makes me go back and wonder whether I have done all I should. Have I given him all he asked? And uh, Uh, rededicate uh, all over again uh, from where I started Uh, the verse is the tenth verse of the third chapter of the Old Testament book of Malachi now you'll find that this will not be a sermon Uh, uh, you've already been to your churches I hope and had your sermons Uh, shall we just listen as if God is speaking to us Now as I read this verse I would like to remind you that my Bible is Chinese and so as it comes to you it will come in a different wording because uh, I just turn it round from Chinese back into English. Chinese is very beautiful you know. There's much much more of it and uh, so sometimes the verses are quite long where in your English Bible they're quite short. The tenth verse of the third of Malachi. The great over and above all one, Jehovah, who controleth the hosts, leans, saying, if you will bring into my storehouse your completed tithe, that my family may be sustained, then you can prove me. And see if I will not open wide windows in heaven, pouring out blessings so many, you will never be able to use them all. The great over and above all. This in Chinese is a very beautiful expression which we use uh, to speak of our God. You just can't use the word God. A God to a Chinese is some idol sitting in a temple made of mud or wood or stone or sticking on your kitchen wall uh, uh, on a piece of paper. Our God is over and above, not only all other gods, but over and above all, everything. He is the greatest, the most powerful, the most wonderful the great over and above all one here when you preach or you talk about uh, your God too you have to according to Chinese custom uh, give as you would to anybody of, of any standing his, his status his name his offer English is very bare you know <laughs> and so here we have the great over and above all one Jehovah and what does he do he controls the hosts. and I conclude that the hosts are those things which man cannot control man has gone a great length in sun but he still has to get to the moon and then he hasn't controlled it. The sun, the moon, the stars, the wind, the sea, he controls. You cannot rule the wind. You can try all you know, but it still blows the way it should. The sea still comes at that split second of the tide every time it rolls in. He controls. And yet this great over and above all one, Jehovah, who controleth these hopes, lean. The lovely little Chinese word here, I only wish you understood it, jiang, which means to lean out. And here he is, as it were, leaning out of heaven. And he's speaking, lean, saying, If you will bring into my storehouse your completed. And you're going to find that this is something very definite. To be put in a very definite place. For a very definite purpose. There are no perhapses with God, you know. No maybes. No later on. Those words are not in God's vocabulary. If you will bring into my store house. That is a definite place. And a storehouse is somewhere where you store something. You put, in those old days, those jars of pickles on the shelf for such time as Mother wanted to use them and she reached them out at the appointed time. If you will bring, says God, into my storehouse, your completed time. And you will find, as I have found, that, your completed tithe as mine is this. This is Gladys L. the completed tithe, myself. All I possess, all I have, my head, my heart, my feet, my hands, that that is me, my completed tithe. And when God asks us to do something, he doesn't ask for one hand or one foot or even one day he asks for the complete you. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed tithe that my family may be sustained. And if you will look in the dictionary where I found this uh, explanation it says uh, this means to uphold and to keep. As a nurse A dying patient as a mother her baby. So it isn't money, is it? A dying patient has no need of your pound, no? A tiny baby has no need of your half-crown. A dying patient needs the upholding care of the nurse. A baby needs the comfort of the mother's arm. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed tithe, that my family may be sustained, then you can prove it. And do you see what I'll do? I will open windows in heaven, and I will pour out blessings, and there'll be so many blessings, you'll never be able to use them all. And the words here to describe this is an expression which in Chinese says which literally means the incoming tide of the sea. The ever-flowing of a fountain. Now it doesn't matter what you do down at the seaside uh, the tide always comes. The water comes. You can put pipes and dry it off. You can take buckets and bucket it out. You can build breakwaters, but the water is still coming and there's still of mud. This is what God promises in blessing to you and me when we have put in a completed time. And so, friend, you and I have got to come down to realize that why we have not got a blessing, either in our own life, in our family, in our community, or in our nation, is simply because we have not fulfilled the condition that God made. Now, you can say, well, that's all right, Miss Airwood, but remember, this is law. Yes, it is law. Jesus said, I came not to do away with the law, but to finish it. And if you go back to the dictionary, you will find that to finish something is to add to it. The definition in the dictionary says, to finish a cake, you ice it. To finish a hat, you trim it. To finish a garment, you put on the buttons. So, if you will bring into my storehouse your completed tie that my family may be fed and sustained and upheld and kept, I will open the windows of heaven for you. It won't cost you anything. I'm doing the blessings. I'm opening the windows of heaven. And you're going to say, well, I, 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 I just don't know how to do that because I can't give up this or I can't do that. God isn't asking you to fulfill a law. He is asking you to find the love of Jesus Christ and pass it on to someone else. Tonight, in this testimony, I pray that you will realize that it is said for one purpose only, that it may help you in some way. It will comfort where you need it. It will challenge where you need it. It will urge where it is very needed. But most of all, we shall be willing to go away and give to God what we maybe have never given to him before, our completed self. We have most of us given just one part of ourselves, one piece of ourselves, or just a little bit of our time. Friend, God does not want your bits and pieces. God is not hard up. The silver and the gold is mine, the cattle and the hogs and the ills. He produced them. He made them. He created them. He's not hard. And so if you think uh, that God is waiting for you to put your sixpence in, dear friend, he isn't. If you will bring yourself, I will open the windows of heaven. And may God speak to us, pour out a blessing on us. Uh, so that we can go out and bless someone else. I went to China exactly 36 years ago. I went uh, as a girl in my twenties and I really and truly believed that God told me to go. I was saved, not in my home, I am terribly sorry to have to say, but after I had left my home and gone up to work in London and uh, I was pulled into a church one night by a group of young people who were standing outside that church door who had been saved uh, during the previous weeks in some revival, and they were so happy they thought they would got everything in Jesus Christ that they were determined everybody else was going to find him too. And I that night sat in that church and for the first time in my life realized that Jesus Christ Son of the living God had died for Gladys Eve it shook me it moved me and it was going to alter my whole life I went out not realizing of course what had happened inside me to rush home to the little place where I was living and throw myself on the bed and I said God if you're real oh please prove yourself to me and if you prove yourself to me tonight I promise I will do anything you ask I had no idea what he was going to ask but all I can say is this if I was to be put back tonight to that very moment I would do the same all over again in that it has been just wonderful we have a very wonderful God and a very marvellous saving. That next year, I floated around and before I had joined a church, really knew how to read the Bible or understand very much of prayer in any what I call concrete way, he called me as a child. Why he called me, I don't know, I only know he did. I was reading one day a periodical and in it was an article on China that somebody had written because they had come into the news just a few uh, weeks or days previous the fact that the first airplane had flown over China. And the article pointed out that Western civilization was going in at a great rate to this great land and yet there must be thousands It may even go into millions of people in China who had never heard the gospel. Well, this shook me as much as the fact that Jesus was real. And I thought, well, how painful. Fancy having to go all through your life without Christ. Oh, but how dreadful to come and have to die and not know where you were going. Well, then, somebody ought to be doing something. I had not been brought up in the circles that talked about missionaries and mission fields and all this kind of thing. I I didn't know anything about that. Uh, And so I felt that somebody ought to be doing something. Well, weren't the churches? Weren't the Bibles? Couldn't they read them? When I discovered there weren't, well, then somebody ought to be going and telling And I now believe that this is my job to see that at least one person went to China for Jesus Christ and so for that next year and two months every time I went out I called on somebody either a relation or a friend or somebody I knew and later on people who I didn't know but whose names I saw in the paper uh, with this one idea that I could persuade them that they were the very person who should be going to China for Christ. Uh, they were all very clever and educated and they had good positions. They were doctors. They were nurses. Oh, they were wonderful. And to me, they were just the very people who should be going. Well, I'm terribly sorry. Not one of them even took me earnest. They all thought I was a bit funny in my head and asked me such peculiar questions that I came out and very disappointed. And then at the end of that time uh, I stood in our sitting room at home while my sister was uh, sending off an aunt of mine who had been to visit and I heard her say Aunt Nell be very careful Uh, if our glad knocks at your door don't open it because you might find yourself on the way to China for long and I decided that uh, even my sister uh, thought that I was a little bit funny up here. And, uh, well, perhaps that was. After all, it was a queer idea, wasn't it? Running around trying to push somebody off to a place you didn't know anything about, to do something you didn't know anything about, uh, to a people who you also didn't know anything about? Yes, it was. Well, all right. Well, um, I, I, I just, uh, I know, I have one last try. And then I'll throw the whole thing up and I'll go back and enjoy myself. My last try was my own brother. I went home, I caught him in the kitchen and I proceeded to tell him all that was in my mind. I promised to pay his fare. I promised to keep him if he'd go. All he'd got to do when he got there was to send me a letter with what he needed and I would send it to him. I would work, I could earn money and this is where it would go. And he laughed, and he laughed, and he thought it was the biggest joke he'd ever heard. And he said, I don't know what you're worrying about them Chinese for. Do you know anything about them? No. Nope. Know where China is? No. Nope. Been in reading any books about China? No. Nope. Well, that's a queer thing, isn't it? Well, what are you worrying about them for? Because they do not know Jesus Christ. And I feel they should. You wouldn't go? What, me? Huh. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm not interested. And uh, he made a run from the kitchen where we were standing. He had already gone out from the door when he turned back and very boylike like put his head round the door and this is what he said. If you really believe somebody ought to be going, why don't you go yourself? Bang went the door and away he got. I stood I don't know how long and they went on inside me that battle that goes on inside of us many of us know this shall I is it me isn't it me all the falls all the against. you know it couldn't be me why I'd never done anything really sensible and well I wasn't educated I hadn't any money and uh, I wouldn't know how to begin I couldn't I didn't know that sermons. I don't know anything about church oh no oh no and then why don't you go yourself if you really believe somebody ought to go and if eventually I just made God two promises the first dear Lord Jesus if you will open the way and show me how I will go myself the second I will never again ask anyone to do something that I believe you are asking me, the person Gladys Aylward, to do. The first promise I kept uh, within the next uh, year and a half by buying for myself a third-class ticket on the Trans-Siberian Railway, packing a suitcase and going. The second promise I am still seeking uh, with his help to keep. And I praise God that even although I didn't understand all it was going to mean and all it was going to cost, I still went. I wonder tonight, if God asked you, would you go? Oh, not to China. This isn't a call to China. This is a call to give to God, a completed... Only just a few years ago, I realized uh, that to pay my own fare was something that uh, was rather wonderful. I didn't think it was wonderful in those days. To me, it was just the ordinary conclusion. I went to work, and I earned the money, and I could spend the money how I liked, and so I paid my fare to China. So I come home to a very lazy England. Young man, young woman, are you a leaner? Your Great Britain is full of leaners you know those people that lean on somebody? Well, you take care because the leaning post is going to fall one day. Do you want to do something? Go home and ask your father for the money? Hope he doesn't give it to you. Stand on your own two feet. You're a man and you're a woman. And you are answerable to God, not to a man. Not even although that man be somebody you love like your son or somebody you love like your mother. I never asked my parents. I told them I was gay. It was my money. And it was my life. And I believed I was doing what God wanted me to do. And I praised Him that although they did not understand all that it was going to mean, they accepted and let me go. I went across Europe, uh, Poland, Russia, across Japan, and into the north of China. And here I joined an old lady, Jeannie Loss. Gina Lawson was Scotch, she was 74, uh, she had spent most of her life in China, and now I had come along. I am positively sure that if we had met somewhere outside with the idea of joining up and working and living together, we would have parted the next minute. <laughs> but God is a great God, you know, and he didn't allow that. He'd evidently intended we were to be together and so we did not meet until we were right in the middle of China and neither of us could run away. <laughs> Jeannie Lawson had been born in a tiny little fishing village in the north of Scotland. She had never been to a big city, she had never been to England. I had been born and brought up in London, and had never been more than a few miles from my own home. She was 74, I was 25. We knew nothing that the other one knew. We'd done nothing that the other one had done. We couldn't. Age and youth, north and south, how could we? And yet God put us together. I did not learn to love Ginny Lawson as I've loved lots of other people in my life. But I have what I call a little compartment in there of what I call a, a proud life. Seventy-four, still going for Jesus Christ. I come home to find most seventy-fourers with their feet on sofas, grumbling about all the good old days that aren't here anymore, that if they thought that it's how they never were, all their operations, all their bad headaches, all the things that haven't been right. Seventy four of us. I've met them, I know. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed tie, God gives strength, courage, and everything that's necessary. He says I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour out blessings on you. And friend. I pray that you will get down before God, as some of us have had to do, and just have it out with him. I pray again and again for some good old pioneers still going, even though, oh, for Jesus Christ. We opened, Jeannie Lawson and I, in this small city hidden in the southern Shanxi Hills in North China, a mule inn now this was not because we loved mules because we neither knew anything about mules anyway or because we went wanted to go to business or make money or get important oh no but because sitting on the side of that mountain one day watching those men going over those mountain trails with their animal trains Jeannie looked up and she said you know darling wouldn't it be wonderful if those men got jesus they take him and his love and salvation to places you and I would never go, be able to go to. Let's go home and ask God what we do about it. And home we went. And down on our knees we went on this mud floor. And for the first time I heard somebody cry. Oh, I'd been to prayer meetings. I'd been to church but I had never heard anybody what I call batter at the gates of heaven for the souls of men in the way, Jeannie, now battles for the souls of the men of young here. I, I'm afraid, was a little concerned and I knelt rather tremblingly behind her, but I was to praise God but although Jeannie never taught me how to eat Chinese food with chopsticks, or anything about Chinese customs, or even gave me any hints on how to learn the Chinese language, I learnt how to pry and win the souls of men for my lords. That's why she's got that little special compartment down there in my heart. And I pray to those of you who are getting old, that somebody may keep you in their heart, not because you have been beautiful or done some wonderful deed, but because you have taught them how to grow. Every night, these men with their animal trains came into the inn. They listened to a story from Jeannie, who sat on a little stool in the middle of the courtyard while they finished their food or smoked their pipes, I don't know the story. One, I did not understand Chinese. Even if I had, I wasn't there. I was out in the yard looking after the mules. Somebody had to uh, do this job and as there was no other job I could do, (laughs) And again, there were times when I can honestly tell you I wished every mule was in the bottom of the sea. Nasty, pasty, smelly, obstinate things. (laughs) And then as, as I got irritated with the smell and the heat, my eyes would be drawn through that moon gate and I would forget all about them and all the smell would be go and look at Jeannie calmly sitting there and the men, the owners of the mules leaning forward trying to catch every word of the story she was telling the story of Jesus If you will bring into my storehouse your completed task Friend, when God asked Gladys Airwood to go to China he didn't ask for one hand he didn't even ask for two heads. He didn't even ask for one head. He asked for everything. And bit by bit, he got everything. And all I can do is pray. Jeannie died when we had lived together in the inn for just one year. But the very men who had come in to the inn were our first Christians. They weren't even men of that city where we lived. They'd come down from the mountain trails with their pack mules. And then, when Jeannie died, I now believed that because I was a young and single girl and alone, I should move. Girls didn't live alone anywhere in those days, and certainly not in the middle of China. China, anyway, has been a land of great convention. Women didn't go out alone, however old. They were always accompanied by a, some male servant, male member of the family. And if they hadn't got that, then they didn't go out. And so the consequence was I couldn't go out. I found that I was bound to the courtyard simply because I had no chaperon and no one to accompany me. And I longed to know the women. I longed to go into the village and I wanted to uh, see outside. I was young. I was happy. I wanted to be free. And now I was bound into one small courtyard. And every night that courtyard was filled with animals and men. Well, I didn't know quite what to do about this. I decided that uh, I would have to move. Where? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody else. But I suppose God would tell me where to go. And then, two separate thoughts came into my mind. The first was that, did God put a person for one year in a particular place, pour blessings upon them, And then, because it was uncomfortable, and yet knowing that they were the only real Christian there, expect them to move? Well, I didn't think so. God was a God of love. And the second thought was that I knew the only bit of language I had learned while I was in this place was only understood just there so that if I moved I would have to start learning an, an entirely new Chinese in that I wouldn't understand anybody outside and they wouldn't understand me I couldn't see no I just couldn't God doesn't do things like that God is a God of common sense as well as love and he knew I was the only Christian so I did something that I wouldn't advise you to do unless you feel very definitely led. I decided that every day when I read my portion, if I came across in that particular portion the word go, I'd get up and go. If I didn't find the word go, then I just wouldn't move. Well, I read day after day after day after day, but I didn't find the word go. So, I
1: stayed.
0: Rather puzzled, Little concerns, I wonder, why is God keeping me right here? I'm lonely all day long. All I could do was study the Chinese in a very sort of odd way, and that I'd no books and nobody to teach me, only the old cook. Um, and then at night time, get mixed up with the muleteers and the men. And then the door opens. I discovered that because I had been born outside in a land that was Christian, I was the only woman with unbound feet. All our women had tiny little feet, just the size of my middle finger. When the little girl is from two to four years old, and she could properly balance on those baby feet and walk those baby steps, her feet were bound up. By the time she was from 11 to 14, her feet were finished. They were. They were crippled for life. Now down in the capital of China, Chiang Kai-shek had become Christian. And seeking to put on reforms all over the land he was now head of, he made a law. The binding of women's feet was now to cease. So that although I know other reforms went on, I don't know any more than that this one law was going to mean more to my sisters and to me than you in Great Britain will ever really realize. You do not know how much we owe to this man and his courage and his stand for the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And when you criticize, would you be very careful? If you bring into my storehouse your completed time, you find yourself in love with people you don't you might not like, but whom you know are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This meant that every headman of a district had got now to find somebody who he could organise and pay and send round that district. To stamp this customer foot binding out. And the mandarin of Yan Xian had decided that this was me. But well, I had decided that it wasn't. And uh, so uh, the day he came uh, with the intention of uh, uh, getting me to accept this job, uh, we stood on each side of the courtyard, getting no nearer to each other. And refusing almost to listen to each other. I wished him anywhere. Into my heart was the thought that I had gone to China for Jesus Christ. And I didn't want to be mixed up with governments and seats and politics and all these sorts of things. I wasn't interested. I was interested in souls for the Lord of Glory. But you know, I, I couldn't get rid of this man. He just stayed on and on and on and and, and I didn't know what to do. And then I sent up a silent prayer to the Lord to send him out. And something most amazing happened. It seemed as if away in the distance somewhere there was a little voice. It sounded just like my brother. It wasn't. He was still here in England and I was in the middle of China but the very words that he had flung across the kitchen at me all those years were false. If you really believe somebody ought to be going, why don't you go yourself? Oh, then, but see, it's nothing to do with me. Do you really believe they should bind their feet? Well, then why don't you do something about it? Oh, and I suddenly woke and accepted the job something I had never dreamed or thought of and wouldn't have thought of in a million years. I became an employee of the Chinese national government, the official of things. I didn't get the job because I spoke good Chinese, which I didn't, or because I knew how to climb mountains, which again I didn't, or that I knew anything about the people of those mountains, which of course I didn't simply because of the size of my feet. You see, friend, that's what you have to put all of yourself in. God at that moment didn't need my hands, but he needed my feet. And he got me. I cannot tell you that the job was wonderful, that the pay was glorious. It wasn't. You've never seen our women's feet, or else you've never. I only know that I was happy because I believed I was doing what God wanted me to do. And every village, every hamlet was mine. I was an official and I could just walk in. I could knock on your door and just go in. My congregation were there. I had when I went out on long journeys, four men. On shorter journeys, two men. They were from the local militia of our own city. They were just little fellows that were so proud to be following that woman who knew everything. Oh, if only they knew how much I didn't know. (laughs) But we would arrive in a village and I would stand on the middle of the threshing ground, which is also in the middle of every village fetch them all out everybody out and I would wait and watch all the doors opening and the people streaming from the inside two men in the fields. fetch them in bring those children and sit them at the back, and gradually we would get organized they had to be all there it doesn't take long to explain about things Growing and smoking opium, does it? And so we start off. Shall we learn to sing? Sing? Government officials sing? It? Oh yes, we sing. You know. Well anyway, you do the same as I'm doing. And they learn to sing. And they listen to stories from this, the book. And they learn that God had created men and women as little babies and their feet were the same because he expected them to remain. I learned very early that every two feet had a heart and a cell and lots of relations. As through the inn came the first Christian, so now through my job came the first Christian Whoever would have dreamed that God was going to use what was then a heathen government to open the mountains of South Shanxi to the Gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. There were no missionaries. There never has been. There was just me. I wasn't a missionary. I'm an official of the government. And then there came into my life something which I hadn't reckoned on, thought of or knew anything about because although I was happy earning my own living holding my own and God was blessing in a most amazing way whole villages had come out for Jesus Christ I've had bonfire after bonfire of their idols and their ancestral gods and literally sang in my heart as they knelt To take Jesus as their Saviour. But I was so lonely. I ate with loneliness. I lived one week's journey from the next white person. They were the only people who knew anything about England. They were the only people who knew anything about the fact that I had a mother and father and I still loved them. Imagine people they didn't know. I was just the official, you know. I was just that one sent by the living God to tell them about Calvary.
1: That I had a home
0: and a mother and a father don't think it ever entered their heads. And I longed. I longed to sing choruses. I longed to talk and be be really happy. And I didn't know how to. I was so lonely. And then I came to problems. Not only in my own heart and my own life, because we don't stay at being little boys, we grow into men. We don't stay at being girls, we grow into women. And I had grown up. And I, but because I, I, I was a sort of facing problems also in the work. This should have been a man. I couldn't go out alone without her. these two men, who were my bodyguards, or the four men who were my bodyguards. I would never have been allowed more than those few steps from my front door. I couldn't talk to men on my own. I'd got to go and grab some old woman or something to stand by me. And you couldn't always find anybody who was willing or had time enough. And so I puzzled. Well, I came to the final conclusion that the solution to all the problems in the work, in my heart, and in my life, and in the need of the city, the whole thing would be sold if I had a husband. And it wouldn't be. I didn't know how to settle this, and so I took the matter to God, and I prayed, Lord Jesus, you saved me, called me, used amazing ways to pull me out and put me down here, somewhere, over this great wide earth, there is a young man. I don't know him. I don't want to know him. I only know that if you have chosen him, he is the very person who will fit into this work and into me. Would you pull him out? Would you do for him what you did for me? And here we will meet. We'll have the first Christian home by loving you and loving each other and we'll have the first white baby these people will ever see. I really believe because God answers prayer that one day I would see coming on a mule train or on a camel train a young man he wouldn't probably have ever heard of me but that wouldn't matter we'd meet. and wouldn't it be wonderful oh the joy that in somebody to climb the mountains with somebody to discuss things with somebody to sing with and to pray with but he didn't care do you think he should have come maybe you've never thought then tonight I throw the challenge for do you believe that it was God's will to leave one woman all alone? Right in the middle of what to you appears to be nowhere? Do you? Did you do anything about it? Are you doing anything about it now? Because there are people in the same position right today. Are you bothered? And you should be. And I challenge you, men and women, to seek God's Holy Spirit and ask him to teach you how to pray please turn your cassette over at this point they're going to fail as I nearly did unless you do I waited and I waited and then decided that perhaps I was wrong maybe God didn't want me to have a husband well if he didn't want me to then that was it but he wouldn't leave me alone he was a God of love and he knew that I longed for fellowship and companionship. I'd pray for fellow worker. and so into the next year I did. And I waited and I prayed in the same way for that fine girl, who of course as you know never came. I wonder if she should have come. Young man, young woman. In the name of Jesus Christ, I challenge you, everyone. What are you doing for Jesus Christ? What are you doing for Jesus Christ? Not what are you doing for your career, or yourself, or even your mother and father, but for Jesus Christ. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed tithe, says God then you can prove me and you see what I will do but you haven't got your completed tithe in so you haven't got any blessing I do believe somebody should have come into that part of church because you see it was I who watched the people who I couldn't get round to die without Jesus Christ into that next year when I realised that probably no one was coming I am afraid I just went lower and lower and lower and tonight friend may I remind you that if you have a missionary or if you know of that native worker or if you don't then find one you should be praying every day They are in the forefront of the battle. And they need upholding and caring. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed ties for what purpose? That my family may be upheld and kept. They're not asking for your money. They're asking for your upholding care and your love. And so one day, there walked up the city of Yantung. a grim, hard-hearted woman. Is this Gladys Airwood? Yes. She's not preaching about a God of love, because there isn't one. Love? You to me about love? Hmm. That's the God who picks you up and pulls you out and puts you down in the middle of China and proceeds to forget all about you. He doesn't care whether you're so lonely that you ache or what happens to you or anything. He only, well, that's all it is to it. And, uh, well, here we are. Lord, if you want a grumbly, crotchety old maid, well, uh, here she is. I'll serve you. But you wait and see what you get. My heart was filled with my own self-pity, my own self-righteousness, my own pride my own ideas myself Friends, are you there are you there i meet them every day in the london tube on the buses in the trains the miserablest lot you could ever meet they don't care about anybody but me and mine and my, us and ours got the worst headache in the world haven't you well i'm telling you you haven't God does not demand. God does not push. God does not pull. He says, if you will bring. And when that tithe goes in, it is in God's hands, and he will do with you as he so desires in such a wonderful and loving way that you will find you are usable wherever he puts you. I walked up the city street and sitting on the side of the road was an ordinary mountain woman. Leaning against her knee was a very dirty, miserable-looking little child. I discovered she was there to sell it. I bought it. I didn't buy the child, as you now know, because I loved children, because I didn't. Or because I pitied it, because I didn't. Or because I wanted it, because I didn't. I wanted my own baby, and my heart at that moment was filled with my own self-pity and my own ideas. I bought it because I truly believe that Jesus Christ asked me to. As I stood on that busy city street, it was as if somebody brushed past me. And a voice somewhere behind me was saying, Buy it. Buy it for me. I haven't any money. Oh yes you have. And I suddenly remembered that in my pocket there lay a few Chinese coppers. Do you mean to say that you want me to buy this with my own money? Yes. Yeah. Because you see, gay. you can only buy a body, but I can save it soul. Do you know how I earned this money? Because this is my wages, you know. See that mountain? I climbed up that mountain, almost on my hands and knees, because it is too steep for an animal to climb up. When I got to the top of that mountain, I called those village people together and I shouted myself hoarse. That's my job. And I came down here to receive my wages. Yes, says the voice. I know. I know exactly how you feel. You see, guys, one day I too climbed the mountain. And I, too, perspired all over, climbing But when I got to the top of the mountain, I didn't shout. In fact, I never even opened my mouth. I allowed those men to do exactly what they liked with me. And they nailed me to a cross. Do you know what for? Because, clearly, I hadn't any money. Said I hadn't anything else to give. So I gave myself. My warm life black. I was 33. And I woke. I was 33. Friend, have you ever been to Calvary? Oh, not a place. Can you close your eyes and know that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, will give you a vision? Of what Calvary cost the son of the living God. Blood and sweat and tears. Murder. Our most horrible death. And it was for you. I did. I'm never going to Jerusalem or Bethlehem. I don't need to. I know it all. All I know is he bought me. And. I just. Realised that all I could do was to hand myself body, soul and spirit over to him. I bought the child. It was the first act of what was going to be the complete submission of myself to him. I never dreamed that I was buying my first daughter, a little girl who was going to come into my life and mean so much from her there came one by one the others all in different ways all under different circumstances all so different in their temperaments and characteristics but they came and I praise God for them he kept us he fed us, he clothed us we all lived in a higgledy mess in the inn About we were very happy and by the time the war came I had 40 children and so one day looking down and uh, on this uh, sort of all scrambling mess below I said oh Lord I don't think I can bear any more I believe 40 are a good round number for one woman and please don't send any more but you know God doesn't always answer your prayer as you expect that was the year the war began and down being pushed in front of the ever advancing Japanese enemy came hundreds and thousands of lonely pathetic refugees and when they had passed through our little place there were always a few children left behind so the family grew and grew until they were over 80 Eighty of us during those years ran around the mountains. He protected us, he kept us, he fed us. And then we made a final getaway, came over the Yellow River where he worked miracles for us to make a new life for ourselves in the province next door, Shensi. I watched the older ones go away to join the army, the navy or the air force. I watched the girls go away to join Red Cross units and to be put into hospitals for wounded soldiers and for wounded refugees. And each time I broke my heart, I praised God for them and handed them over to him. He had given to me to love and to bring up. And I prayed and longed that they should go out to be the testimony and the witness which I longed to be in the place where they were going. I don't know what became of lots of them. War separates. War kills. War hurts. War breaks your heart. But we kept the smaller ones of us together as long as possible. And then, as you know, when the first enemy retreated, so a second, more wicked, more evil enemy swept in. And what we had not lost under the first enemy, we now lost under the second. The Japanese never took away our Bibles. The communists did. The Japanese did not do what the communists did. And we watched with aching, breaking heart This evil, horrible thing. Take, bit by bit, everything we possess. Friend, tonight I don't know you. I don't know your thoughts. I don't know that you love the Lord Jesus or that you know him as your saviour. But I challenge you, if you have any idea, that communism has a good point. It came from hell, and if there's any good in the devil, then there's good in Thomas because that's its master. I hate it with every breath I breathe, because it is my Lord's greatest enemy. It has killed, it has murdered, it has suppressed more love, more people than any other sort or religion has ever done since the world began. And all that amazes me is that you can sit and listen and swallow the bait that they're throwing out on you. Great Britain, I challenge you to uh, give to God your completed tithe and get the blessings, because if you don't, you know what's going to land in? Something that you least expect. Now don't say nobody's ever warned you, and don't go away and say it cannot come here, that's what we said. I sat in a lovely little village on the side of the mountain and said, Oh no, I couldn't come here. But I watched that village disappear. Bit by bit, brick by brick, man, woman and child. If you haven't got the blessing, why? Because you had not given to God what he asked. We met, the family and I, for the last time in a field outside the city of Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan. I had decided it was time to go. I brought danger on everybody who looked on me or even spoke to me. Because although I held a Chinese passport and was Chinese in my thought, in my love, in my language, in my clothes and in everything but my face, I still had a foreign face. I came out. I would willingly have died for China. But God didn't ask death. He asked that I live. I came to England. And then I turned my face back. I knew that I could not go again to the place that had been my home in North China. It was closed. It was behind an iron curtain. And so I asked the Lord where he would have me go. I set off and I wandered around the East and into the Far East, had some of the most amazing experiences, and going into South Africa, Ceylon, Malaya, and all around those fields looking into every face. There might be my son. I might find my daughter. I might find a lonely Chinese. I did. In every place. I found them there not my sons and daughters in every place but Chinese who were lonely who were refugees who were longing for freedom God gave us blessings but there was no witness in my heart for staying in any of these places until I arrived in Hong Kong and here the whole place was absolutely chock-a-block full of refugees they literally were there in their hundreds every place where you could put a bottle There was one. Every shop doorway, all the pavements down the sides of the roads, even down the middle of the road, there were families living. And I, who knew what it felt like to be a refugee, felt this is what God has sent me for. I will work among refugees. And so I took a little room and I... uh, Sort of set my little house in it, as it were, and I prayed and expected that God would show me what to do. Well, He did, because He does. I didn't know in those early days how to begin. I wandered among up and down the roads, sitting beside those heartbreaking families, nursing some of their dirty babies. Yeah, I, I wasn't really doing anything. I didn't know how to do it. And then a miracle happened. I met one day in the street, one of my own boys. I thought he was dead. He thought I was dead. And now right there in the middle of all this great crowds of people, we met. And we joined up. This has been a most wonderful partnership, my son Michael and I. I praise God for him, for all he has done, all he means to me, and all I know he means to God. We opened right there in uh, Kowloon, what is now the Hope Mission. It was just then an empty shop, there was nothing in it, and for the first couple of months everybody who came in just either leaned against the wall or stood up, but they proud it is. God bless us from the very moment uh, that we step into the place and I praise God for all he has done in that little place we have the usual activities that go on every night there are these different groups and they come uh, for their prayer meeting or their Bible study or their band practice they're terribly in earnest Mostly they're young people who have come out, leaving all their families behind. They're lonely, but here they find fellowship. This is not only their spiritual home, but they will tell you it's their home. So that although they don't actually sleep there, they count it as their home. We now have, in Hong Kong, four rooftop schools. If you have seen on television those great high resettlement buildings uh, and you know what happens, you rent uh, a rooftop and you put around it a fence uh, or what I call chicken wire and you build a little lean-to in the middle and you open your school. Uh, The children live in the building belief. They just come up to the rooftop. Every resettlement building holds 1,000 families. We have four. The opportunity is wonderful. And if you see them, your heart just sings with the fact that they are not only learning to read and write and understand the things of the world, but they are learning of Jesus Christ. We last year opened what we call a poor school which is for the children of beggars. These have no status, no name. They can't take jobs because they have no pass and so they are beggars. Their children will be beggars unless something is done. Well, they're not going to be beggars if we can help it and so with others of like mind These poor schools have been opened. We have won. It was wonderful to go out there just a little while ago and have their dirty little hands put on you and a little dirty face looking up and saying, Grandma, oh, Grandma, are you my Grandma? Yes, dear, I am your Grandma. Oh, how wonderful to have a Grandma. But isn't it wonderful to have a father? Oh, yes. But he is up above, you know. And they, in their simple way, are proving the love of Jesus Christ. I did not remain in Hong Kong. I, because I again believed that I should go one step further, went to the island of Formosa. Now, again, I didn't know where I was going. I only believed that that was what I should do. And when I got onto the island, I just didn't know. Uh, again where to start but I arrived when the island was going through uh, a wonderful time of uh, shall I say not actually spiritual revivals but revivals of all kinds all sorts of reforms were going on they were unifying the language land reform uh, schools were being built and opened so that things that never could and I do not uh, no, think ever will happen on the mainland of China are really happening in Formosa and I just as it were went down into the middle of it and had a most wonderful time and while I was having this uh, time of uh, student retreat revival meetings conferences conventions which i had sort of come into because when i had come out of Shanse into shanty and discovered uh, that our mountain dialect would not be understood down there on the plains i had learned northern mandarin and oh how grateful i am to god for letting me learn it while i was still anyway, younger than I am now. And it was all ready to go into Infimosa, where it is now the official language. And imagine I arrive speaking the official language. To me it was just overwhelmingly wonderful. And uh, then right in the midst of all this busyness, God, as it were, put a full stop. I went home one night to the little room that I was living in to discover that somebody had already been in it. They had not stolen anything but they had left right there in the wash bowl, which was on a little chair inside the room a newborn baby. And I picked up the bowl with the baby in it and I said, oh no Lord, there's some mistake here. Now, I do not want a newborn baby, and you know that I have nothing to feed it on, clothe it in, or any time to look after it. And also, may I remind you that mothers are young. I am well over 50. But there was no answer from heaven at all. Just as if God was there. But as I was standing with the bowl of the baby in my my hands it was just as if I could see myself all those years ago standing in the kitchen of my own home. Dear Lord Jesus I promise I will never again ask anyone to do something that I believe you are asking me the person that is able to do. So I took the baby. God worked more miracles for that baby in its first few days than he's worked for you and me in all our lives. So it lived. But before long, there were other babies. People got the idea that I loved babies. (laughs) And so every time I came home, well, I knew what was going to happen. And now somebody told me that outside in a very lovely place from our city a Beto on the side of the mountain there was an old hotel. I took it, rented it the Gladys Airwood Children's Home. It has been filled up to last year with children of all kinds, all sorts and all conditions. Orphans of all sorts lonely, pathetic, lost, abandoned baby. God blessed in a very wonderful and mighty way. And then, four years ago, I came uh, to a very important time in my life. I had my 60th birthday. Very important in Chinese now. And of course there were great celebrations. And all the important people you see uh, gave me honors and so forth. But at the end of that week, my nice family arrived. Now the family is rather large, and they uh, filled everywhere. <laughs> in fact, they swamped the hotel, and they were in everybody's house and so forth. Because you see, the family have grown up and married, and then they have got children, and so there are they go on and on, you see. And uh, there they all were. And on this night, after all the grandchildren had paid their honors and everything, uh, are just the family, my sons and my daughters. And my eldest son gave a speech. He is a, an officer in our Chinese Air Force and a very, very fine Christian uh, in that force. And now our Honourable Mother has got to the Honourable age of 60. And so we, the family, have decided that it's this time that she had a rest. She has spent all her life on looking after such as us, who were just little bundles of nothing that she picked up on the side of the road and has loved and cared for. And then, of course, you know the usual all sorts of things that would go on. And so now, uh, we have decided, and we've uh, got a a little house, and uh, we have even sent outside and bought a bed, we don't have beds in Formosa, as you know, and uh, so we are expecting that our mother will now take her rest and sleep every night and all night on the honourable bed. Well I thought this was a very wonderful idea and uh, I went and took up my residence in the little house Uh, it's quite small but it's very nice and I slept very comfortably on the honourable bed for one whole month. At the end of that month one of those very boys had been doing accounts of the orphanage with me on his way out very late at night go back to the orphanage up the hill his foot kicked against what he thought was a bundle of rubbish just outside my door he picked it up he was on his way up the street to put it in to the bin which is there for the purpose when he thought he felt it move He was very annoyed that somebody would tie up a little dog or a cat and leave it on our doorstep. He brought it back. But when it was opened, it was neither cat or dog, but a baby. I believe the dirtiest baby we've ever had. The sickest baby I've ever had anyway. It just breathed. I decided that to wash it would kill it. So I took it to the kitchen. I rubbed it all over with cooking oil. wrapped it in a towel and took it to bed with me decided that in the night I would feel beside me a little cold lump all I would have to do would be put it out onto the floor and well it would have died I'd have done my best anyway but I slept all night and in the morning it was still alive it lived all that week lived into the next week into the third week And now I woke up, well, wasn't it going to die? Why didn't it die? I didn't know. Because it didn't seem to move much. It didn't cry or anything. It just didn't die. And uh, so I just got hold of two boys from the orphanage and I said, now listen, you go straight down to the police because everybody but the people who should know, know about the baby. The neighbors had all been in. The family had all been in. Even some important people from the government had been in. But the police didn't know. And they ought to know. And so, I said, well, go and report it to the police. And on your way back, you better drop into the registry place and just register it. You can think up a name on your way. It's going to die anyway, so why worry what name you give it? Imagine my amazement when they came back uh, with the paper uh, with the name of the baby on it to find they had christened it or shall I say registered it as Ai Chi Guang now Ai Chi Guang literally means the first of a new A-Award family
1: <laughs>
0: well Ai uh, Chi Guang was just a bundle in a bed for nearly one year didn't do anything just the same just breathing whether he knew anything understood anything we didn't know There was no voice, there was no, nothing of what we would call sense at all. And I nearly broke my heart. And it came to Christmas, and our babies were so lovely, and we were going to have such a wonderful Christmas. And I stood looking at them, and they were all gurgling at the Christmas tree, and the little silver paper things we'd saved to hang on, you know. And then I went home to my little house, to Chiguan, who maybe would never know a Christmas tree, who'd never know that Jesus had ever come, or that he'd ever die. And I just picked him up, and I said, Oh Lord, I do not believe that this is your will. Surely you can't just expect a little breath to go on in a body like this. Please will you answer my prayer. I will never ask you for anything again if you don't want me to, but would you take him back to heaven or would you heal him and God healed him? Here tonight is Ai Chi Guo, who's been naughty, who's even taken his clothes off in the book? <laughs> And to you who have had anything to do with him or seen him, you know very well that when God heals, he really heals. <laughs> because here he is. There are no spots on him, let me tell you. We have been here just over four months and he's learned enough English to carry on quite comfortably without me. <laughs> and yet lots of things that I don't know anything about. <laughs> We come back to the beginning. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed tie that my family may be sustained, then you can prove me. And do you see what I'll do? I'll open windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out blessings. And friend, he has. We have in this new family, 26. And then, to climax the whole thing, just two years ago, God sent to me my fellow worker. And my heart was filled with a tremendous joy. And I thought of all the lonely years in Shansei, when I had longed and pleaded first for the husband, and then for the fellow worker, and they would neither of them come. And I felt, this is worth waiting for here was somebody who was going to fit in in a most wonderful way and I praise God for keeping me waiting and then sending to me dear Kathleen who although she had never nursed a baby knew nothing about orphanages and didn't know anything about the mission field but who certainly loves the Lord And has fitted in in a way which to me has been literally amazing. I've left her there with those babies. And my heart is absolutely at peace about them and her. And all that is connected with the work that doesn't belong to me, but to God. And so tonight, friend, as we have thought of all these various things that I know, very simple way have tried to fit together uh, to uh, not just prove how wonderful God is but to prove what you can get for yourself if only you would give him your completed time I wonder why people don't tonight would you let God speak to you would you allow him to come right up close and in your ear challenge your heart because I truly believe that there are many of us here whom God wants to teach how to pray I also believe that there are many who should be doing at least something for him maybe there are those who should be going and there are certainly those who should be giving what you give I don't know nothing to do with me but it just isn't money it's yourself. If you will bring into my storehouse your completed time, that my family may be sustained and blessed. Then says the great over and above all one, Jehovah who controleth the house, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And you all get, get so many blessings. You can't use them up because I will just keep on pouring them out. Oh, aren't we miserable? Tonight, as we bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we ask God what he is going to ask of us? Would you be willing? Mothers, if God asked you for your son or your daughter, would you be willing? Young man, young woman, if God asks you to go, would you go? Or have you some reserve? Of you particular place that you can't, you have to go where he puts you. That jar of pickles in your pantry is put where mother's hand wants it to be put. And in the same way you in God's storehouse are in the hand of God, to be put down in the place that he knows and only he knows, you are going to be useful in. God did not send me to Africa, he knew I wouldn't be any good in it. He didn't send me into the slums of London. He knew I wasn't be any good. He sent me into the middle of China because he knew I'd sit in there. And I believe that in this way he does say with each one of us, if we are not in the way of his blessings, then would you like to go home and see why and how you can get back and get those blessings? Friend, you live in the miserablest place on earth, Great Britain, You're the biggest lot of grumblers there is. And you've got nothing to grumble about. May God challenge you. Do you realize how many hungry people there are in India tonight? Have you ever been hungry? Do you realize how many people still live in refugee camps? Have you ever lived in a refugee camp? Do you know how many people live under the iron hand of communism? Have you ever lived under the iron hand of communism? Have you ever lived through an earthquake? like Turkey is right now? Do you know anything about a typhoon? Do you know anything about an enemy soldier standing in front of you and you're a woman? Do you? Of course you don't. you think you know anything? No. You don't know sorrow? You don't know suffering? May God break your hearts and through those breaking hearts pour his love. Friend, tonight there is one way to get into Russia. Shall I tell it to you? Prayer. God sent Holy Spirit prayer. There is one way to save a child in China tonight. On your knees with believing Holy Spirit prayer. May God teach it to you. There is going to come a day, friend, when you stand before God's judgment throne and he's going to say, what have you got? Must I go an empty-handed thus to meet my Saviour's home? You got anything? He doesn't want your hat or your pie or your car
1: or your land.
0: He wants you and the souls which you should be catching for him. If you were brave, can you hear the sob in God's voice? Leaning out of that wonderful, glorious heaven. Oh, if only they would give to me something to you. That my family that is dying without me might know of my life. God has given to you the privilege of living in freedom. Of being able to read this book when and where and how you like of praying anywhere, how and when you like. He hasn't given this privilege to millions. No man in Russia tonight or China tonight can pray where and how he likes. He lives under the hand of the devil. As we pray, would you let God deal with you as He's had to deal with me? friend, I have not done what I wanted to. I have not eaten what I wanted or worn what I would have chosen. I have not lived in a house that I would have ever looked at twice. I longed, as I've told you, for a husband and baby and security and love and he didn't give it. He left me alone for seventeen years with one book, a Chinese Bible. That's how I know it, and no other. I don't know anything about your latest novels, pictures, theatres. I live in a rather out of world. And I suppose you say, well, it's awful miserable, isn't it? Friend, I've been one of the happiest women that have ever stepped there. I've had a great family of someone else's children who I've loved with a great love because Jesus Christ loved me and who I'm now receiving love back from I have a wonderful family and they are now going into the places that I will never go to they are doing things that I can never do because that's what God promised the heavens opening and the blessings tumbling out shall we pray Dear Father, accept what we are now going to give to Thee. Something that is precious. Something that we've kept. But we are now going to hand over our pride, our jealousy, our self-centeredness, our prayerlessness, our silly little empty nothing All the things we've got ourselves tied up in. Oh Lord, give us freedom. Freedom in thee. That you might be able to pick us up and put us down. And use us when and where and how you like. That someone might know how much you love them. We pray right now, not only for ourselves, but for those. Whom we should be upholding and keeping. Those lonely missionaries. Sick. fragile. Tired of the heat or the cold surrounded by heathenism superstition cruelty and sin oh God we very near to you. we ask thee that you would teach us how to pray for the men in Russia the children in China people behind iron curtains behind walls Oh God, give us visions, make us to dream dreams, that we may know something of Calvary, what it cost, and a lost soul, that we may learn not only how to pray, but how to do, how to be, how to go and how to give.